John chapter 15. The book of John chapter 15. When you got it, say so. still hear pages turning, so I'll wait. The book of John chapter 15, and we will begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And verse 9 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Father, we thank you for your word. That is truth. We thank you for your peace. That is a reality in our lives. And God, we thank you so much because you are here with us today. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us ears to hear what you are saying unto us, your church. And we pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in these next few moments as I share your word. I pray that you would speak, Lord God, clearly to our hearts. That you would shake us down to the depth of our soul, Lord God. And that you would transform us to look more like you. Father, we give you all praise and we give you all glory. In the mighty and awesome name of Jesus, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So I began a series last week entitled Gospel Centered. Gospel Centered is the title of the series, and we're dealing with that topic because it is of the utmost importance that we as a people walk in the fullness of the gospel, that we walk in everything that God wants us to. And if we do not have the right mindset, if we don't have the right focus, we will never walk in the fullness of God's will or purpose for our lives. Last week, we learned that the gospel, again, must be the center of our lives. We learned that the gospel is not something that we preach so that way people are saved. It is something that we preach. People are saved. It is something we continue to live in as we are Christians. And and, and, and the fact is that we must not solely live for the gospel, but we must live from the gospel. I'll say it again. We should not solely live for the gospel, but we should live from the gospel. As Christians, we live our lives from the gospel, from what the gospel offers us spiritually, what the gospel teaches us. We live our lives from there. We're not just living for something. We're not just living for the gospel. We're not just living just to preach the gospel, but we are living from the gospel because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, I made up a word last week, and so I figured I would give you the definition this week. Is that all right? Amen. Okay, so I talked about a word gospelized. Hallelujah. And so we need to, we, 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 we definitely need to be gospelized. And what does gospelized mean? It means to be trained in the truth of the gospel. Hallelujah. Y'all got to get the definition now. It means to be trained in the truth of the gospel as the primary and most important revelation of all Christianity. Let me say it again. It's the first time you heard this definition, glory to God. It is to be trained in the truth of the gospel as the primary and most important revelation of all Christianity. That's what it means to be gospelized. That's what it means to hear the gospel and to understand 
understand how vitally important it is for your life. We can, listen, we can get 10 principles on how to do this and 10 steps to do that and 13 steps to do that and 12 steps to do this and 20 ways to get this. Listen, you can go through all of that, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't come back to and keep you in the gospel, you've missed the mark. Understand this. God doesn't want you to just have a great life. God wants you to know him and walk with him. Amen? He wants you to walk with him in an intimate relationship that is based on the gospel. Today, I'm going to deal with a topic that I think is vital for us as a people, as individuals, and most definitely as a nation. And it is entitled, the title of the message is Gospel-Centered Identity gospel-centered identity and so we have to live for the gospel and live from the gospel but our identity must also be rooted in the gospel last week when I was speaking about the 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 doctrine of justification I talked about how we sometimes just assume justification assume that people get it and that a lot of times what happens with us is that you know we're like okay we've been sanctified so or, or, or we've been justified and so what does justified mean justified means that I have been delivered from the wrath of God means that I I'm no longer guilty. It means that I've been restored to, 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 to sonship or daughtership, you know, in a relationship. That's what it means when it says that I've been justified. Here's the thing that we cannot get confused with. And we got to understand something that a lot of folk, and I'm going to say this because I, I was praying today, this really came into my heart. And so I say it like this. There's a whole lot of folk that are going to try to go into heaven with a fake ID. Now, let me break this down for some of y'all because, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't raised in church, right? And so most of you weren't raised in church either. And so, you know, when you're younger, you know, you want to get into certain places. Most of the time it's a club. Hello? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're supposed to be a certain age to get into that club. So what you could try to do, right, is get a false identification. If you have a brother that looks like you that's older than you, you might try to take his ID. Hello? And just be like, yo, check it out and whatever, right? It's all good. And you get in. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's a false identification. It is not who you are. And so in reality is when we, when we, when we as, as folks, you know, we think, okay, well, you know what? I've been to church. That's what my identification card says. I've done all these things, right? Because, you know, we do different stuff. You know, obviously we have different backgrounds. So some of us, you know, we were raised Catholic, and so we do our first communion, and we do, you know, we, we, come, to, we come to confession, I guess. I wasn't raised Catholic, so I'm sorry. But, you know, we come to confession, and we feel like, okay, well, I did my stuff. ID, hello. And let me, let, me, let me talk to the Christian folk, right? Some of us raised in church, and what do we do? Go to Backyard Bible School, Vacation Bible School, VBS, amen. Hallelujah, glory to God. Heard the, heard the gospel message preached. Someone said, say this prayer and you're saved. So you know what I did? Said a prayer, I'm saved. Then later on you learn, man, I got to be a member of a church. Become a member of a church. Later on I learned, I got to be baptized to be a member of a church. So what do I do? Well, I said a prayer. I was baptized. Now I go to this church. I'm good to go. When I come to God, hey, I was in backyard Bible school when I was nine years old. Do you remember me? I said the prayer they told me to pray. I, I got dunked in the water that was freezing cold. Don't you remember that sacrifice that I made? I got in that water. The fact of the matter is, when we talk about our identity, when we talk about a gospel-centered identity, we need to make sure of something. And it is that our life, our sanctification, looks like our justification. What does that mean? Well, I said last week very clearly, the Bible says that because of what Jesus did, you are not guilty of any sin if you have, if you have submitted yourself. Now, mind you, Pastor Robert said this, and so I'll just reiterate it. There are two types of people in this place, and I want to make this abundantly clear. There are two types of people in this place. There are not, there are not three types of people. There's not someone who is saved, someone who is not saved, and someone who's in the middle. No. There is no in the middle. You may be close to the line. Hello, somebody. What you mean by close to the line? You may be asking questions. You may be desiring to know some stuff. But here's the thing. Until you have repented of your sins, until you have given your life to Jesus, until you have accepted the sacrifice that he's made, you are still on this side with the unsaved. Two types of people in this place. And so there is the one who has, who has really acknowledged that they need Jesus. There is the one that has really acknowledged that they are a sinner, that you can't save yourself. You really acknowledge that. 
And so what the Bible says about you, it says that you are no longer guilty of sin because you have confessed your sins to Jesus, because you've asked him for forgiveness, you've asked him to be the Lord of your life. He has, he has been faithful to his word. He said you're not guilty. He's delivered you from the wrath of hell. Anybody who doesn't know Jesus, anybody who's not walking with him, they will spend eternity separated from God, burning in hell. That's the bottom line. That's what the Bible teaches. And so the facts are the facts. There, there, there's the person that is like that. The Bible says you are 100% not guilty of sin. The Bible says you are 100% delivered from the wrath of God. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. The Bible also says that you are a son of God. You have favor with God. God doesn't look at you and say, okay, I forgave your sin. I forgave you. You're not going to experience my wrath. But I look at you every day for the rest of your life as though you were the person who did this who I forgave. No, when he looks at you, he sees a new creation. He doesn't look at you holding. He doesn't do like we do. See, we remember, we remember folks by the things they did. Oh, yeah, she came to Jesus, but she used to be. That's not God. So when you're doing that, you are acting ungodly. Amen. Constantly reminding folks of what they used to be, where they used to be. But here's the thing. This is the point you got to get. Because when we're talking about identification, identification, you really need to be what that ID says. And so if God says you're not guilty, you need to walk as a person who's not living in sin. If God says you're delivered from wrath, you need to be living as a person who's been delivered from wrath. If God says you are a son, you are a daughter, you need to be living as a person who is a son and a daughter. Understanding this, our justification must reflect our sanctification. It is a proof of our salvation. What happens is when I am truly justified, when I am truly forgiven, when I am truly experiencing the grace of God, my life must reflect this. That is the reason why I say there's going to be a whole lot of folk trying to get into heaven with false, ID, with false ID. Because I did all of these things, but I lived my life the way that I wanted to. That's not truth. That is a lie, and it's going to be deceitful. And the Bible confirms that because Jesus says many will come to me in that day. I love this scripture, and I'll probably repeat it at least once a month, glory to God, for the rest of my life. As long as you're here, you'll hear it. But Jesus says it clearly. He's like, look, many are going to come unto me in that day, and, they're going to, and he says, and, and I'm going to say to them, part from me, I never knew you. False ID, that's what he's saying. False ID. We look at ourselves and we'll say, man, I did all of these good things, though. It's not about all the good things you did, man. It's about were you really walking with him? Were you really walking in the power of his spirit? Or were you just trying to do whatever you thought was religiously correct? God is not looking at your religion. He's looking at your heart. Mm-hmm. God desires that we have an identity that is unshaken by anything we experience, whether bad or good. When we talk about having an identity, what I'm dealing with right now, talking about our eternal perspective and looking at eternity. But what I want you to realize is that while you walk in this earth, you have to walk and you have to have some level of identity. You need to know who you are. You need to walk in a certain way, and God wants us to walk in a certain way. That's the reason why the message of justification becomes so important. Because justification tells us who we are even when we don't feel like that. There's a difference. There's a difference when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you're like, man, I am a hypocrite. I am horrible. God agrees with you, and he's saying repent. Understand me. Please understand me. If you're looking at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, man, I am a heathen, and I am horrible, and you're saying it because of stuff you're doing, repent of your sin. God is not over there pacifying you saying, oh, it's okay, baby. He is not saying that. It's all right. You're going to be. No, you're not going to be okay. He wouldn't do that. He loves you too much. That's why he sent me today to help you to understand. He ain't saying it's okay. Someone else may be saying it's okay, but it ain't him. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. We have to have this identity that's not shaken by anything, not shaken by good things. And when I say shaken by good things, how can my identity be shaken by good things? Well, we start to think much more of ourselves when good stuff is happening. We start, we, we start gaining, we, we, start, we start experiencing success in our lives. We start experiencing, you know, the blessing of the Lord. We start experiencing, all of a sudden we start to feel all good. We, 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 we must be all that. Hello, somebody. We start to forget it ain't about us. It's about him. We forget that it is not about me. It is about Jesus. So then our identity gets shaken and we start to depend on our own righteousness. Remember we talked about this, about we become moralists. We become those people who start depending on our own good works, our own good deeds. We start depending on ourselves. And I'm not telling you you shouldn't do good stuff. What I am telling you is that those good things don't make you any better in God's eyes. 
glory to God. I love the gospel. Hallelujah. That's what it says to us. It says, you can, listen, you can be the loudest praiser. You can be the biggest giver. You can be the Mr. Do-Gooder all over everywhere or Mrs. Do-Good everywhere. Hello. You, 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 you can be that person. And you are not any better than anybody else in God's eyes. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate, the apex. He is the alpha and omega. He is the greatest, the most righteous, the most pure. And nothing that we do can ever measure to that. Hello? Nothing that we could ever do. But then we start to get shaken by bad stuff. See, the good stuff, we start to get prideful. We start to get arrogant, right? Bad stuff happens in our lives, and we forget what God said about us. Because we start to question, man, does he really love me? You lose your job. Hold up. God doesn't let God, Jehovah Jireh, provider? What happened there? What happened? I thought he loved me. Get sick? Oh, God can't love me because he's not healing me. Hello. You start going through family situations, right? Man. Where's God in all of this? Right there. Loving you. But identity, your identity has to be found in the gospel. When you look at this portion of scripture here, the true vine, Jesus, and how how does this all tie into identity? Jesus makes something very clear. He says in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So we get two primary components to fruitfulness, okay? He's talking about you being fruitful. He's talking about a Christian bearing fruit. A Christian not just doing good stuff, not just the good stuff they do, but the fruit of their lives. And so he points out, he says, I'm the vine. I'm the source of the fruit, right? And then my father is the vine dresser. He is the one who enables the fruit to continue to come out more. That's what he's saying here. He goes on to say in verse 2, he says, every branch, that's you and me, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you are a branch. Now listen, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So two branches in this room, two branches. There's the branch that's not bearing fruit, taken away. Nobody in here wants to be taken away, Amen. He says the other branch, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So what happens is there's a branch that doesn't bear fruit. It's cut away, removed. You're, you're, not, you're not being used. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Therefore, you're cut away. The other branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. He cuts. And, th- and, and he says, for what? That it's going to bear more fruit. So in other words, you should never come to the place in your life that you feel like you've done enough. I'll say it again. You should never come to the place in your life that you feel like, I've done enough. I've done enough good deeds. I've done enough good stuff. I've gone to church enough. I've read enough of my Bible. I've shared the gospel with enough people. I've given enough. You should never come to that place because when you are doing all of those things, God is always saying, you can, you can become more if you allow me to be more in you. That's what he's saying. You can do more. You never get to that place. And you know why we get to that place? Because we lose focus on the gospel. Because we start looking at everything that we've done, all the sacrifices we've made, it becomes all about me, 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 and me. It's all about me. But that's not the truth. The truth is, God says, if you're a good fruit and you're all that, then you know what? You should be in the process of being pruned. Hallelujah. Great place to be. Verse 3 says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. I want you to see what he says here. He says to his disciples, he's talking to them, he's saying, you know what, you, my father prunes, right? So this is what he's saying. What is pruning? Pruning is cleaning, right? That's what pruning is. You're cleaning up the plant. You're making the plant able to bear more fruit. That's what he's communicating. And Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, which gives us a clue. The way that you and I become more and more, or the way that we are pruned is through what? The word of God. As we read the word of God, as we meditate upon the word of God, that is what God utilizes in order to prune our lives. In other words, it's not by reading that magazine, this magazine, listening to that person or this person, or going by our own feelings, but the way that we are pruned is when we are looking at the word of God, because the word of God will always call us higher than where we are. Did you hear that? The word of God will always call us higher than where we are. When we start to feel like I'm praying enough, you start to read your Bible like, man, I can't be praying enough. You start to feel like you've memorized enough scripture. You start looking at, man, I got a lot to go. 
You start thinking, man, I'm doing enough sacrifice. You start looking at the life of Paul and see a guy who says, man, I know what it's like to be beaten. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be fasting. I know what it's like to be in prison. I know what it's like to be in all of it. Paul was the most dead person on planet Earth. Glory to God. You couldn't do anything to Paul. When you, when, when you were going to mess with Paul, th- there was nothing you could do to make the guy upset. You're going to throw him into prison? The book of Philippians says, man, he rejoiced in that because the faith of other people were built because he was incarcerated. How do you mess with someone like that? Well, you do what the devil did. Just try to kill him. Because he will be such an encouragement to the body of Christ. You're going to give him much and give him plenty. You know what he's going to say? Man, I'm going to use all that for the glory of God. I'm going to come and I'm going to be a blessing. He never forgot. He never lost sight of the gospel. He always stayed true to the gospel message. And so what? And why is that? He stood in the word of God. To the point that God uses him to write 13 books in the New Testament in order to communicate to us. He uses him in that manner because he understood this one principle here. You are already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. If you and I are not in the word of God, we are not being pruned by God. Say that to your neighbor. Say, neighbor, if you and I. Come on, look at your neighbor. Look, 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 look at him in the eyes. Look at him. Get, shake him up if they don't want to look at you. Glory to God. Look at him. Hallelujah. Say, if you and I are not in the word of God. We are not being pruned by God. Listen, you want more from God? You want to see God do more in your life? Get into this word, right? Verse 4 goes on to say, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He goes on to say again, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in them bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, a lot of folk do not want to hear this. They don't want to hear this stuff. A lot of people don't believe this because they're like, well, I see plenty of people that they don't think about Jesus, they're not serving God, and they're doing better than me, really. You sure they're doing better than you? Hear what I'm about to say. There are a whole bunch of folk that you think, man, they're doing better than me. They're driving a better car than me. They have a bigger house than me. They got more. That doesn't mean they're doing better than you. Because when it's all said and done, big house, big car, mansion, whatever they got is all staying right here. And guess who they got to stand before? God Almighty. And they will be able to have nothing to say about themselves. They're doing much worse than most folk. Hello? And when I say most folk, I mean the ones that know Jesus. Because when it's all said and done, it's all about him. What Jesus is saying, he said, man, you can do nothing of eternal value without me. You can do nothing that really matters without me. And anything that's good that you have anyway, guess what? The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so you know what that means? They, they, they can try to take credit, you know, and when I say they, the folk that don't know Jesus, you can try to take credit all day long like it's you, like it's your wit, it's your ability, it's all these other things we're going to talk about in a moment. You can try to go ahead and give credit to all of that, but the fact of the matter is God still allowed it. So at the end of the day, he gets all the glory anyway. That's the, that's the reason the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Hello, somebody. That's crazy, isn't it? God will literally allow somebody who is wicked to become wealthy to bless some righteous people. Crazy. But he'll do it. I didn't say that. That's what the Bible said. Amen. Repeat this after me, please. Say, we should not build our purpose. Or or build, I'm sorry, build or pursue our identity by cultural standards. Let's say it again because I messed it up in the beginning. We should not... Build or pursue our identity by cultural standards. Jesus says here clearly, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now let me ask you a question just before we get into this next stuff that I'm going to say. When you look at the branch, what is it that the branch is doing to receive glory, honor, or anything? Look at a branch. What is it doing? It's doing nothing. If you cut the branch off the tree, guess what it will do? Wither and die. So in reality, the only thing the branch is doing is staying connected. Hello. That's all he's doing. What comes out of the other side ain't got nothing to do with the branch. 
You get no glory for any of it. I know y'all are hating me right now. Right? It's about the root. Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the root. I am the source. It's about me, not about you. You're just a branch. Oh, glory to God. You're just a branch. All you are is a vessel that I can move through. It ain't about you. You know what your benefit is? You get to be connected to me. Oh, hallelujah. Your benefit. Well, that's not a good benefit. That's because you don't know Jesus. Your benefit. You get to experience my life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. I come to give you life and life abundantly. What is he saying? I want you to experience true life. Listen, this should be liberating. Because you realize you are just a branch in the process of God. And if you allow him to work in you, you are going to bear much fruit. And you are going to be glorious on the day you go before the king of kings. It's the branch is doing nothing. But you know what we want to do? We want to define ourselves by cultural standards. We want to have an identity that comes from the culture. We, 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 we want to have a, an identity that comes from all kinds of other areas other than what the Word of God says. So in today's culture, this is the issue here. And, and th- th- this is where you're really going to start to hate me, but it's okay. Just know that I love you. In today's day, in today's day, we are constantly encouraged to love ourselves, to build our self-esteem and build our self-confidence. Yet the question is, do these mindsets align with the scriptures or are they obstinate to God's ways and thinking? In our day, in our churches, throughout the land, we hear about how you got to have all of these wonderful feelings about yourself. You have to have this high self-esteem. Can someone just find one scripture, one scripture, please? One. One, just one. Show it to me, please. Where the Bible tells me, you as a Christian need to have high self-esteem. Show me the scripture. Well, I know what you're going to say. Well, the, the, the Bible tells me that I should love my neighbor as myself, so I have to love myself. That has nothing to do with esteem. Nothing at all to do with esteem. That's not the scripture I'm looking for. I'm looking for the word. <laughs> I'm looking for the word esteem, self-esteem. I'm going to tell you the problem with the word self-esteem. I can tell you what the Bible does say. The Bible tells you you should esteem others higher than yourself. I can tell you what else the Bible tells you. The Bible tells you that you should have a modest opinion of yourself. Glory to God. Not esteeming yourself. That's a problem. Some of y'all need to have a steam bust. Hello. (laughs) Got too much esteem. Get that esteem out, you know. (laughs) Hallelujah. Right? There is no scripture that says that. There is no scriptural basis for that mindset that we're supposed to have this. The issue, I need to let you understand this. The issue with us is not low self-esteem. It is a sin issue. It is a sin issue. Well, Bishop, what do you mean? What about someone who's been abused and beaten up? Can I tell you something? They need to meet Jesus because the moment they meet Jesus, they will realize that everything that has ever happened to them, everything they have ever gone through, doesn't matter, has nothing to do with the love of Christ, has nothing to do with their identity, has nothing to do with what God says about them. They need to understand what the Bible says. They need to get the doctrine of justification. That's the issue. You don't need to try to make someone feel better about themselves. You need to let them know what Jesus says and what he did for them. Hallelujah. That's what we need to hear. The fact of the matter is, we want to go around with the Bible. Well, what does it mean then? Because i got to deal with that, obviously. You know, how, what, what does it mean to love yourself? Can I tell you, what? When, when, on, on, on a couple Wednesday nights ago, I was teaching on this, on, on the whole thing, on, the, on you know, what Jesus meant when he was talking about love your neighbor as yourself. And you guys know that they came to him, they questioned him, they said, you know, what's the greatest commandment? goes on here and says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And the second commandment is like it, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is communicating something. Write this down. He is, he is quoting... Um, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. That's what he's quoting. He's quoting Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And when you look at this particular portion of scripture, here's what you find. What you find here is you find that Jesus, first of all, in the context, in the way that he is communicating it, the focus is never on self-love. It's on love for your neighbor. Did you get that? The focus is not you loving yourself. The focus is you loving your neighbor. 
That's the focus of the text. When Jesus is speaking, he's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. So when, what does he mean by as yourself? Well, here's the thing you got to realize, that everybody in this planet, even people, and I said this on, on, on Wednesday night, even people who are bound by insecurities, they still love themselves. What do you mean? I'm going to show you how they love themselves. And I can tell you this, for, for, for example, when you're insecure, you know what you do? You stay away from people. You stay away from situations. Why? Because automatically you protect yourself. You don't want to be hurt. You don't want to experience embarrassment. You don't want to deal with whatever. So you know what you do? That's how you love. It's, you, when, when the Bible talks about you loving yourself, what he's saying there, there is something that is natural inside of everyone. It's the thing that once you learn that the stove is hot, you won't put your hand there again. That's what it means to love. It's natural. You don't have to build that up. That is just there. Understand this. Now, people can be abusive with themselves, and, they can, and they, can, they can deny that because of what? Because of sin. But that has nothing to do with self-esteem. That has nothing. What it has to do with is us understanding what, what God has said, what God has communicated, so that way we can walk in true freedom, and we can really experience the identity that God wants us to experience. Nowhere in our Bibles, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, you look at that whole chapter and you read it, and God is telling you how you're supposed to deal with your neighbors, how you're supposed to treat other people. In essence and in reality, what Jesus is simply saying is he's saying, man, treat others. He's, he's reiterating the golden rule, which is what? To do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. That's what he's saying. He's not giving us some license to go out there and say, well, I'm just going to love on myself and just love, love, love me. Hold on a second. Here's the issue. This is the great issue with that. What happens is you get folks who start to think of themselves as so good. What do you need Jesus for? Here's the reality. The reality is when we look at how society has, how, how, how we have been programmed by society, by influences and different people and, and those type of things, you know, how we, you, know, you know how we gain our identity in our society? It's by the things that we're doing, the things that have been done to us. And we, need to, and, and we need to understand that that is not the way that God wants that to be. God wants us to be identified by what? By what Jesus did for us. He wants us to have our identity in Christ. Sadly, this is how we've been trained. And so we look at all of these things. And so let's just look at for a moment the contrasts that are there. The mindset or, or, or this mindset, it, it makes the gospel nothing more. We have a mindset that all we're doing is we're identifying ourselves by what we're doing. Or what we have done. In other words, we look at ourselves and we say, well, you know what? This is what I'm doing. This is the job that I have. This is the, you know, these are the good things that I'm doing. When I start looking at myself from that perspective, and what happens to the gospel? What happens to Jesus? Jesus just becomes someone who can make me do better. He's not someone I need for salvation. He's just someone who can make me do things better. What about if I identify myself by the things that have been done to me? And when I start identifying myself by those things, then all it is is then I just come to Jesus and I'm like, well, I just need you to just fix whatever happened to me and that's it and I'm good. I don't need you for salvation. I just need you to fix some stuff and just make some things better. I need you to make me feel better. That's it. So here's the question. Does Jesus make you feel better? Because I know like in your mind you're like, well, doesn't Jesus make you feel better? Obviously he does. Hello? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's not that he doesn't want you to feel good. It's that he doesn't want you to just come to him just to feel good. Did you get that? He he, he doesn't want you to just come to him just so that way he can fix broken stuff. Or here's the other thing that we do that we identify ourselves by. We identify ourselves by the people that we're connected to. So because of the people that I know, the people who know me, the people who accept me into their group, well, then you know what? I'm I'm good. That's That's how I know who I am. We see that as we're growing up, you have the popular folks and the unpopular folks, and, you know, it's a crazy situation, and, you know, you're growing up with all kind of identity issues. If you just know Jesus, you're going to be fine, because it doesn't matter what you're doing. You realize this. What you're doing doesn't make you any, doesn't make you any greater, any more wonderful. What has been done to you doesn't make you any worse or any better. You realize who you're connected to, neither does that do anything. Because your identity is what? Your identity is in the gospel of what Jesus Christ did for us. Looking at some cultural contradictions against the scriptures. This is what culture says. It's all about how I feel. This how, is this, this how I gain, this, this is who I am, this is what I feel, this is how I'm going to gain my identity by living out my feelings, my emotions. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful 
It's wickedly deceitful above all things. That's what the Bible says. So how am I, how am I going to build my identity based on what culture says? How am I going to build my identity by following every inclination and every feeling in my heart? There's no way I'm going to have a real identity, not according to God's standards. I'm going to grow up being a person who's going to be overwhelmed by other things. I start to feel stuff. That's the reason why we have people that are, that are battling with sexual identity crisis. Because you know what? I'm just going to go with what I feel. Well, it felt good. No, that doesn't make it right. The heart is deceitful. That's not who you are. God created you for something else. The culture says it's all about who I know. You know what Jesus said? Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He rebuked them because they sought the praise of men rather than the praise of God. So what does that mean if I'm going to have a gospel-centered identity? That means that I'm going to be a person who is going to have my life and my pursuit is going to be for one thing, and that is to hear God communicate to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to live my life not for the praise of men, not to get pats on the back from this one, because you know what the issue is with that? You will compromise your standards when you're living for the praise of men. You will compromise what the Bible declares you to stand for when you are living for the praise of men. But when you are living for the praise of God, you do not care who says what about you because you realize there is one that matters, and that is Jesus, the one who died for me. And that go, and, and, and listen to what I'm going to say. I've, I am a firm believer in what the Bible teaches, that we are to honor our mothers and fathers, that we are to make sure that we honor them. But we are not supposed to worship them. I mean, let, 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 let me make it clear. We are supposed to honor mom and dad. We are supposed to make sure that we do what they ask us to do. But their opinion of us doesn't matter in comparison to God's opinion. And I'm a dad saying this. And I have a daughter sitting over there in children's church. So I'm saying that to her. The most important thing that she needs to be concerned about is that God is pleased with her. That God is pleased with her behavior. And I, can I say this? Let me just say this to balance the statement out for any young person who gets crazy in here. Listen, if you want God to be pleased with your behavior, honor your mother and father. Hallelujah. So don't get it twisted. Bishop said go be rebellious. No, I didn't. I don't, you don't care about your... I didn't say that. That is not what I was communicating. What I'm communicating is honor God. How do you do that? Learn what his word says. Seek his praise. And you know what happens when you seek his praise and you seek him and you allow him to do and be the, the, the fullness that you're seeking? You know what happens to your life? All of a sudden, you begin to grow in favor with the right people. Did you hear that? You grow in favor with the right people. You don't want to go in favor with the wrong people. You want to go in favor with the right people. And still, all of those right people, they don't matter because God is all that matters. Amen? Hallelujah. The last contradiction that I'll say is that when we look at culture, culture says, it's all about my accomplishments. It's all about the degrees on the wall. It's all about the job that I have. It's all about the whatever figure income I have. That's what it's all about. It's all about my accomplishments. It's about, you know, my marriage that's good. And, and, and we get our identity because I have a good marriage, because I'm a good, because we grew up without a dad. And so you know what happens? We're always overcompensating because I want to make sure that I'm not labeled as a bad dad. Listen to me. That's not where you gain your identity. You gain your identity through the gospel. You know what Jesus says to all of that? It's about our accomplishments. On the cross, he made a pretty final statement. It is finished. So there's nothing for you to accomplish. There's nothing that you can accomplish in order to have a greater identity. Our identity has to be centered in the gospel. The second thing I should repeat after me is this. A gospel-centered identity comes from what God says about you. Now, here's the thing. We can choose to allow other things or people to create an identity for us, or we can allow the Word of God to identify us, period. We can allow other people to tell us who we are. We can allow circumstances to tell us who we are. We can allow whatever we want to tell us who we are, or we can allow the Word of God, what God communicates, to tell us who we are. So what does the Bible say about us? The Bible says something. Turn with me really quickly to the book of Genesis, and I just want you to do this because I feel like you need to turn there, and that way you can look at what the Scriptures are saying. But the book of Genesis, chapter 2, and verse 26 through 27 I'm sorry, not chapter 2, chapter 1. I'm sorry. Verse 26. 
When you got to say amen, I should have been pretty quick to find, right? The book of Genesis chapter, chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what do we find here in the book of Genesis? We find God's original design, God's original plan for man and woman. And what was that? It was that we would be image bearers of God. This is amazing for our identity. God created us to be his image bearers. God created, we didn't, listen, Adam didn't do anything in order to deserve this endowment of being the crown of creation. He just was because of what? Because that's what God said. Because that's what God communicated. God says, I'm going to create man in my image and likeness. And what is he saying? Man is going to be like me rationally. Man is going to be like me morally. That's what he says. You're going to be like me, image, likeness. You're going to be just like me. Image bearers. That's what we are. It's an awesome thing. But, but. The Bible also goes on to continue to show us in chapter 3 that they decided that they were not, well, for whatever reason, they thought, well, we don't have enough of God's image. Why do I say that? Because the serpent is like, oh, he doesn't want you to eat from this fruit because what? Then you're going to become more like God. The, but the fact of the matter is they would never become more like God. They could have never bore his image any better. They could have never had anything greater from God. That was a lie. But the fact of the matter is that they ate from the fruit, and so the Bible says that we fell. So what, is, what does sin do? Sin corrupts both our way of thinking, it corrupts, it, it corrupts our way of living, our way of being moral. It corrupts that. So what has to happen? Redemption has to happen. Salvation has to happen. God has to redeem. And so what does he do? He sends his son to die in our place. Then the book of Ephesians chapter 4, turn there with me. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 communicates the, the, the beautiful truth. That continues on as you become a Christian and you walk with Jesus and what are God's commands and what are his desires for us. Ephesians chapter 4, when you got to say amen. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading. Let's just, let, 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 let's just read from verse 17. And it says this, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And so having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now I want you to understand what Paul is saying right here because he is, he is saying that you as a Christian, if you're a Christian in here, then God is speaking directly to you and he's challenging you. And he's saying that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles. When he's saying Gentiles, he He's saying people that don't know God. He's saying people that are not in a covenant relationship with God. He says they have, they, they have a futile mind. Their way of thinking is messed up. He says their minds have been darkened. Their understanding has been darkened. So you wonder sometimes why when you're talking to someone about God, they're sitting there like, man, I can't wait for this person to stop, or they don't understand what's being said. It's because their understanding has been darkened. Because of what? Because of sin. And they've been alienated from the life of God. They, they, they're not even connected. They don't have a relationship to the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Sin makes us ignorant because of the blindness of our heart. Sin blinds our heart. And who being past feeling? Sin. Now look at this. He says, now, now, now listen now, you got to get this because, because our culture tells you it's about feeling. But God's word says that people who are out, who people who don't know Jesus, they're beyond feeling. They're beyond feeling. They don't even have that real sensibility to know what's right and what's wrong in the sense that they can be like, oh, well, this is the right thing. That's, he says, they're beyond feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And he says, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, when you came to Jesus... You learned of the justification. You learned of the sacrifice he made. And so now it is your responsibility to walk this out. You didn't learn him to come and be a, to, to come and be a person who acts like you're blind, who is beyond feeling. You didn't come to him to be a person who is, who is ignorant. You, you, that, that's not how you learned Jesus. Jesus came to do something. In verse 21 he says, If indeed you have learned, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. 
that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so what God does through Jesus is he comes, dies in our place, and he he offers us redemption. He offers us salvation. He says, okay, originally, I wanted you to be be an image bearer of mine. Originally, I wanted you to walk and represent me in this earth. But sin entered this earth, and so now you live in, in, in a total opposite way. You don't live for me. You don't live the way that I want you to live. You may feel good about it. You're still not living for me. You may feel good about how you're living, how you're feeling. still not good for me. It's not the way that I want you to live. Jesus dies in our place. And he says, now, because of what Jesus did, you can live this righteous life. Now, because of what Jesus did, you and I can be image bearers. You and I can walk and reflect God in this earth. That is an awesome thing. We can walk and we can reflect him in truth. So the Bible shows us originally God wants us to be image bearers. This is all about our identity. Sin corrupted that, so we needed to have salvation. It's necessary to regain, in, in order to regain the image of God, Jesus pays the price, and now we're indeed, now, now we regain this image. So if you've, if you've submitted your life to Jesus, you're an image bearer of God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's your identity. You're an image bearer of God. You're a person, but, but here's the thing. It's not because of your good works. It's not because of your accomplishments that you're an image bearer. It's not because of how great you are. It is because of how great Jesus is. It is because of how wonderful Jesus is. It is because of what Jesus has done. It doesn't give you a right, and I want you to understand this. It doesn't give you a right to go out there and just live as a failure. Hello. It doesn't give you a right to just go out there and just nonchalantly say, well, I'm just going to do whatever. No, that's not what the Bible teaches us. But the fact of the matter is, it's not all of those things that make me who I am. It's what Jesus did that makes me who I am. Here's the issue. The issue comes into play when we have that identity crisis. The identity crisis is when we start to struggle with sin. It's when we start to want to do things that we know are contrary to God's word. And here's the fact. The fact is that you and I cannot deny the struggle with sin, nor can we deny our new identity in Christ. So we have a problem. Because here's the issue. On one side, I know and I hear you preaching that I've been forgiven. I hear you preaching. I'm no longer under the wrath of God. I hear you preaching that I am now a son. I'm now a daughter. I hear you preaching that I now have a new nature. Wonderful. And so I get that. But then I find myself struggling with sin in this area of my life. There is this area over here where I'm battling with stuff, where I still have temptation, where I still have desires. And so the question is, how do we deal with that? This is how we deal with it. Rather than us just ignoring that, we must allow the Father to prune us in order that our struggle with sin becomes less and our fruit becomes more. In John chapter 15, where we were, the Father is the vine dresser. He sees those areas. He sees those areas in which the struggle occurs. He sees those areas and where the issues are. He sees them clearly. And you know what is our responsibility to do? Is as we get into his word, to allow him to remove those things. So that where our struggle becomes less and our fruit becomes greater. Because we begin to die to ourselves, We begin to die to our own desires. We begin to put to death our carnal desires by the spirit of God. This is what it means to have my identity bound up in Christ. I'm getting ready to close with this. The grace of God that is revealed in the gospel, is the most identity-liberating message you will ever hear. What do you mean, Bishop? Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that Jesus did it all for us, that we are who we are, not by our own merit, not by our own status, not by our own achievement, not by our family heritage, not by anything else that you think makes you who you are. It's liberating because the gospel should be the death to ourselves. It should be the new life of Christ that is lived in us. That's why Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It was He understood, it's not about me. It is all about Jesus. It is all about what he's done. It is all about his accomplishment for us on the cross. It is all about his accomplishment for us in his resurrection. That is what it means to have my identity centered in the gospel. 
That I don't walk around thinking that I'm all that because of everything that I do, because of how good my marriage is in comparison to their marriage, or how big my paycheck is in comparison to theirs, or how nice my car is in comparison to theirs, or how big my house is in comparison to theirs, or because of all of the people that I know, or because I'm such a great father, or such a great mother, or because I'm such a wonderful employee, or because I'm such a faithful servant in the church. No, none of those things give you any greater identity. Our identity has to be found in Jesus. I'll close with these couple of scriptures here that I want you to hear. Or you can write them down and I'll give you a nutshell of what they say. The book of John chapter 15, verse 12 through 17, where we were in chapter 15. We didn't read verses 12 through 17. But it says clearly that we are friends of God. That's what it says. That's why Pastor Robert loves that song because it's a declaration of faith. That's all that it is. It's a declaration that this is what God says. And if we keep his commandments, then we're his friends. That's what he says. If we keep his commandments, we're his friends. But here's the problem with us. We get so religious, and this is what we think. We think, man, I got to keep these commandments. I got to keep these commandments so I can be God's friend. Hold on a second. You know what Jesus did to set that statement up? He said, you can do nothing apart from me. You can't obey me apart from me. You can't do what my word says apart from me. As you abide in me, you abide in my love. As a matter of fact, when you read that scripture, it almost gets, if you read it, you know, if you're not reading what Jesus is saying, it sounds like he's saying you earn his love. That's not what he says. He says, if you abide in me, you abide in my love. His love doesn't change. His love is. You either abide in it or you don't. That's it. You're either in his love or out of his love. Period. Period. You don't earn his love. You abide in him. You dwell in him. You allow him to live his life through you. That sounds crazy. Sounds difficult. Of course it is. It's not. It's, not, it's crazy to, to, the, to the natural mind. It's difficult to do on my own. But you know what? When I just let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do, guess what? His grace is sufficient. John chapter 15 says it clearly. We're his friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16, verse 21. This has to do with your identity. He says it clearly. He says you are a new creation and you are now righteous. That's what he says about you. You didn't earn it. You can do nothing to make it better. You can, you, you, you can do nothing to earn that. He says you're a new creation. Live it out. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul the apostle makes it crystal clear. He says that you are now sons of God by faith in Christ. He goes on to say, you are no longer slaves to sin, but you're sons with a glorious inheritance. What are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to heaven. The last thing that I'll say, John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30 says that you and I, if we have made our allegiance to Christ, we are in the good shepherd's hand. We're in his hands. He keeps us. We don't keep ourselves. He keeps us. His grace. His grace. Our identity is secured in Christ alone, by faith alone, and by grace alone, for it flows out of our salvation. Listen, our identity, it comes from what Jesus has done, period. The vision of Faith Doma Fellowship seemingly impossible is to please God. That's it. To please Him. How do you please God who's already pleased? There's only one way to do it. It's by faith. By faith in what God has already done. That's it, church. Having faith. Letting our identity be centered in the gospel. That's the key. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet and let us pray together.